The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, for the sake of uh, being redundant, um, just uh, kind of felt like in our worship, um, I just want to stop and uh, just pause before the Lord again. Um, those words, waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, that's who you are. It just felt like we just need to take a, another minute to consider what that means. And I don't doubt I'm talking to people who are in circumstances where you need God to be a way maker and a promise keeper, a miracle worker. And um, can we just sit there for a moment? Would you open your heart up to the Lord once again? All of us together, but those of you especially specifically that are facing something. I mean, when I say those words, a person or a circumstance comes right to your mind. Can we just give those to the Lord once again, express our faith, our confidence, our trust, our hope in Him, and allow our hearts to just release those things once again to Him, and uh, He's the one that can fix it. And uh, sometimes, often, we get in the way, because we, we just can't let go, and so we manipulate and uh, sometimes he's trying to work and we're working against him because we just haven't let go. We haven't surrendered. And uh, let's just take that opportunity, would you? Would you pray together? Father, just know that in this place today, as, as you are with us, Lord, in this, this manifest way, Lord, we all are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And wherever we go, the Holy Spirit is in us and with us. But when we come together, there is something unique and powerful. And often in these moments, uh, we have such clarity and we have such a, <clears throat> a sense of, of uh, who you are. And Lord, it's in these moments that often maybe we just need to lift our hearts up in faith and trust, dependence on you. And, and once again, this is a, a place to allow those things as we see you so clearly and as we even feel you. So, um, so close to us, Lord, to just release the circumstances of our life. And so, Lord, I, I just pray over those today. Uh, we all go through seasons of our lives where this is so true. Maybe there are some right now that need you to be a way maker and a miracle worker, a promise keeper, Father. So, Lord, would this moment be a moment when somebody or somebody's just... Let go of that circumstance. Let go of that person. Let go of that anxiety or that fear. And allow you to work powerfully in their life. Make it so, I pray. As we look into your word today, 
these comforting, familiar words of Scripture, Lord. May they continue to bring uh, light into our heart, hope to our soul, Lord. May they reveal to us uh, what it is about you that we can continue to grow in our trust and our faith, even our expectation from you. Lord, bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, how many of you are old enough to remember the show uh, Fear Factor? Yeah, that's not too old, right? Um, you remember the premise of the show, right? Um, <clears throat> you get contestants on to compete against each other in, in facing fears, fearful things, right? I've spent a little bit of time this week watching clips of Fear Factor. And I was going to show one, but then I just thought, you know what, they, they get the idea, right? And even some of you might be freaked out the whole rest of the service by what you saw. And you couldn't even think because, you know, uh, the, the, the one I was watching this week was a girl had to get in a box. And uh, they split it into three different sections that her body laid in. And there was worms. And then there was snakes. And then there was um, like these beetle bug type things and and she had to uh, be able to face her fear and concentrate and pick out all of the white snakes there's all sorts of snakes crawling along her midsection and uh, wow she's dealing with bugs and worms all that stuff right you remember the show well what the what the end of the show would always say or what the winner or joe rogan the host would always say to the winner is congratulations for winning Obviously, fear is not a factor for you, right? That was the line. Fear is not a factor for you. I thought about that. Wouldn't that be such a cool description of my life and your life? Fear is not a factor for me. We're beginning in this year by looking at the, the 23rd Psalm, obviously, familiar. Uh, in this Psalm, it provides some of the best understanding of soul care in all of the scriptures. Our premise that we're working from is that the nature of this fallen world is fracturing our soul. It just by its very nature works to fracture our soul. We are constantly walking through circumstances and realities of this world that cause so many different things. Disappointment from flawed expectations. Disappointment from flawed expectations. We talked about that last week. Discontentment from misplaced hopes. Discouragement from difficult circumstances. Despair from fearful situations. Doubt from unknown and misunderstood realities. And it's in the middle of a, a world that is consistently attempting to and often bringing fractures into our soul that Psalm 23 provides a context for a God who desires to faithfully help us live healthy and whole in the middle of this fallen mess. Right? Um, we see that this psalm is it's like a it's such a refreshing, hopeful, powerful section of Scripture that we cling to. Most of you could probably quote it right now. Because it, it comes and meets us at where we live so often. 
And then as we would continue to read into the New Testament and a new covenant, we see that God who positions himself as not only a shepherd in the Old Testament, but Jesus would say that he is the good shepherd who has come to give us a life that is lived fully. What we understand, it is hard to live life fully when you are not healthy. It's really hard to live life fully when you are not healthy. Our bodies do not function at full capacity when we're injured. And the same idea comes in our soul life. That often uh, for us to experience the richness and the fullness of God's life that he has for us, often the fractures that this life is, is, is doing to our soul cause us to live hampered and hindered, distracted and not able to live fully healthy and whole. And we have had our attention caught by the reality that God in Psalm 23, 3 says that he restores our soul. This is a, a word that is, it means he consistently is restoring our soul. Refreshing, reanimating, renewing our soul. And as this fractured, fallen world, this mess we live in, so often threatens to fracture our soul, God is consistently in the business of bringing healing and wholeness back to our soul so that when we are then healthy, we can live fully. See, God's plan is to consistently bring healing so that we can live healthy. Last week, we... We mentioned the fact that often a fracture to our soul is disappointment. It flows out of failed or flawed expectations. And really that the remedy for living with failed expectations is just living a life that is led in paths of righteousness for his namesake. There is no disappointment in that life. And just being able to understand that I'm his child I'm walking, following him. And all of the expectations this world places upon us or that we place upon ourselves, they can, they can dissipate and disappointment is damaged. It's, it's chased away so often in our life when we just sit living, being led in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. There is a contentment that comes from just following the Lord, and that is my only expectation today, tomorrow, as I live. The only expectation that matters is, am I his child being led by him? Today, I want to remind you of another reality from this psalm uh, that threatens to fracture our soul. You see, this psalm is, is such a beautiful picture of a shepherd and if you and you do understand uh, to a certain degree, because we've talked about it often, uh, the role of a shepherd with sheep. We don't do that much here. Um, we don't understand that as fully. But the shepherd provide compre provided comprehensive care for the sheep in so many different diverse ways. Uh, basically, a sheep could just rest. If he had a good shepherd, everything about his life was going to be okay. One of the things that would happen and is known about sheep 
is that sheep are very fearful animals. They're easily frightened. In fact, there's, there's footage out there and there's, there's stories about sheep that one gets spooked and the whole, th- the whole group gets spooked. They, they even get spooked to a point where there's incidents where they had become frightened and jumped off a cliff and died. And not one did it, but just just easily frightened, so frightened that they lose all sense of, of reality. They just flip out, they freak out, and they act irrationally because they're easily frightened. And it's in the context of the shepherd with sheep, easily frightened sheep, that the shepherd of our soul shares this, this passage, a section of this, this psalm that relates so closely to us. When he says, yea, though I walk, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Fear. Fear is said to be the most powerful emotion known to humankind. More powerful even than love. Now, think about fear. Our very survival depends on it, right? Fear triggers uh, one of the most primitive parts of our brain. It's the part responsible for alerting and protecting us from danger, keeping us safe, keeping us alive. Obviously, fear can play an important role in our lives. I have these side theological debates in my mind um, about where fear originated and was it present and, and all this stuff. But it's obvious, just get past that, Fear, is it can play an important role in our life. In fact, the scriptures would say this. The fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of knowledge. The beginning of wisdom. Obviously, natural fears keep us from destruction. Correct? But just as so much of life is like this, So many of the natural or good things that God has allowed to come into our lives. There is a dark side. Think about all the blessings God has given to us. In in money, in food, in pleasures, in sex. All of these things, these wonderful gifts God has given to us. Can take a dark side to them. And fear is no different. This side of fear is a side that moves through your soul like a deadly cancer moves through the body. Fear on its dark side is one of the most debilitating emotions known to the human race. It's unbelievably powerful. It penetrates the heart, poisons the spirit, paralyzes the soul. It affects us emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and obviously even physically. It's like the words, the famous words from our country uh, of FDR on that day that he gave a speech after Pearl Harbor. He said these words, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. 
why does he say it like that? Or whoever wrote it for him, I doubt he wrote that. Probably a speechwriter, right? But there's truth in those words because fear, uh, it, it, it's, it becomes uncontrollable. It takes a life of its own. And fear unleashed in our life is a powerfully destructive uh, part of our world. It, it absolutely destroys our soul, our spirit, our mind, and even can shut down our body. Fear left unchecked will destroy our lives. And I would say a life controlled by fear is an empty life that misses the fullness that the shepherd promises to give to his children, that God has planned for his children. I love what the Stoic Seneca would say when he says, we suffer more in imagination than in reality. This is the nature of fear. We suffer more in imagination than in reality. I would have to say, I am absolutely uh, a candidate for that, for that sentence. I have suffered more in my life in imagination than I have truly in reality. That's the nature of this beast called fear. Rick Warren would say, if you let your imagination be governed by fear, you're going to go around being freaked out, stressed out, and worry all the time. When you allow fear to control your imagination, you live a miserable life. And what so often is the case is we end up fearing so many things that we often, or more often than not, fear the wrong things. We have irrational fear because that's just the nature of this thing. It feeds itself. And it continues to spiral out of control in our life until there's natural fears, there's seemingly some rational fears, and it just spins out of control into irrational fears. That phrase, be afraid, be, fair, be very afraid, the tagline from the movie in the 80s, um, uh, it, it's so true in a lot of our life. Some of you know that movie, right? You recognize that phrase. I mean, think about it. So many people are afraid, are afraid to fly. You have a 00001 chance of dying in an airplane crash. My mother-in-law won't get on a plane, never gets on a plane, will never get on a plane. Fear. On the other hand, the car insurance industry estimates that the average driver will be involved in three or four crashes. Some of you might be bringing that number up for all of us. In their lifetime. And the odds of dying in a car crash are 1% to 2%. Way higher than flying. Yet no one even thinks about getting in their car, right? It, it, irrational. Are you afraid of heights? It's the second most reported fear. Um, your chance of being injured by falling, jumping, or being pushed from a high place is it's like 1 in 65,000. But the chance of your identity being stolen is 1 in 200. Being, being fear, fear of, of being, uh, people are f afraid of so many things. Dogs. One of the things that people are afraid of is dogs. The, uh, the, your chance of suffering a dog bite is 1 in 137,000. Your chance of being injured while mowing the lawn is 1 in 3,623. 
See, I'm just trying to kind of help you understand that fear spirals out of control. It really does. Until we begin fearing so many things, often we fear things that are so irrational. And it's developed into this whole world of, of psychology that we all are familiar with now called phobias. Right? Fear. I like this one. We're fearful of sharks, right? Um, we have shark week. And I go to the ocean and I swim in the ocean with my kids. But in the back of my mind, I'm always like, dun it, dun it. <laughs> Listen to this. All the swimmers that are at the ocean, you're much more likely to be killed by your spouse. One in 135,000. <laughs> then a shark. One in 300 million. All the swimmers out there and all the shark attacks. I like what one lady I, who's an expert in this says, honestly, we should spend a lot less time worried about serial killers and plane crashes and more time about the plaque building up in our arteries. Fear is just, it becomes irrational, out of control. It's debilitating. I love what Oswald Chambers says. I should have probably put it on the thing, but I didn't. The most, it is the most natural thing in the world to be scared. I do believe that. And the clearest evidence that God's grace is at work in our hearts is when we do not get into panics. Think about that. The remarkable thing about fearing God, and I don't think I need to go into that, I hope I don't, that in that fearing God, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's a fear of living life without God, of missing it is what it is. That's the, the greatest fear that naturally is given to us, is to not be in connection, relationship with our Creator, our Father. And that's what begins a whole life of wisdom and instruction. And I, that is the most rational fear in the world. Is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear missing out on life with him, being in relationship with him. He says the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Right? Think about it. We fear things like failure. Rejection. Losing control. I love what Max Cicada would say about this. Fear turns us into control freaks. Amen? I know what that's like. For fear at its center is a perceived loss of control. When life spins wildly, we grab for a component of life we can manage, our diet, the tidiness of our home, or even people. The more insecure we feel, the meaner we become. We growl and bare our fangs. Why? Because we are bad in part, but also because we feel cornered. Remember the story of Martin Niemöller, that German pastor who, um, uh, who made a heroic stand against Adolf Hitler in World War II, and he recounts the time that he met the dictator for the first time in 1933. Niemöller said he stood at the back of the room and listened. And later, when his, when his wife asked him what he had learned, 
He said, I discovered one thing. Adolf Hitler is a terribly frightened man. Fear releases the tyrant within. We fear the unknown, the unexpected change, and death. What I want to remind you of today is some simple points. Fear distorts reality. Fear distorts reality. I read this this story about a bus driver who was driving along his usual route. And, um, you know, he didn't encounter many problems on his route. But one day, um, he said, one day there was this huge man, six foot eight, built like a wrestler, and his arms hung down to the ground. And he gets on the bone, or on the bus. And he says, his route's normal. Like, nothing happens. People get on, people get off. This guy gets on the bus, huge. He glares at the driver and he says, Big John doesn't pay. Then he went and sat down at the back of the bus. Well, the driver's five foot three, tall, thin, and neat. And he didn't argue. He wasn't happy about it, but he didn't argue. The next day, the same thing happened. Big John gets on again, makes a big show of refusing to pay, and sits down. Happened the next day and the day after that. And the bus driver began to lose sleep over the way Big John was taking advantage of him. And finally, he couldn't stand it any longer, and he signed up for building body classes, and he, he did karate, and, and uh, he actually took a class on finding your self-esteem. By the end of the summer, the bus driver had become strong physically, and he was confident mentally, and he felt really good about himself. And finally, the, the Monday came where Big John enters the bus and again looks at him and says, Big John doesn't pay. Enraged, the driver stood up, glared back at Big John, and, and yells, And why not? With a surprised look on his face, Big John replies, Big John has a bus pass. I mean, the guy's reality was so whacked out, he spent a summer improving himself so he could face what was not even a man taking advantage of him. Fear distorts reality, right? I mean, think about, think about this. I, I've read this week about even physically what happens to us when we fear. And I don't want to get into that. But there's a chemical reaction in our body that causes even a part of our perception to be altered. When you give in to fear, chemically, your body does begin to see a perception that may, is not reality. I mean, come on, think about it. This happens to us as kids, right? I'm fearful of the dark. And then all of a sudden, there's all sorts of creatures in the dark. And you can't convince me otherwise. And that thing in the closet really, really, really becomes a person or a monster or, right? Fear distorts our reality. Think about Elijah, the prophet who prayed down fire from heaven, uh, uh, against the prophets of Baal, stood up in a heroic feat against the prophets of Baal. And he, he actually not only calls down fire from heaven, but he, he takes out all of those prophets. 
And God even gives him supernatural strength to run from the rain that is finally coming after they've prayed for rain. And yet, in a moment, he allows his fear of Jezebel to completely distort his reality. And he's hiding like a weak man when he allowed fear to control. It distorts reality. It really does. Fear paralyzes activity. That's why they call it flight or fright. Because for often, many of us, what happens in the moment that you are fearful? You freeze up, do you not? I, I remember we were visiting um, uh, some friends. Keegan was like one year, one and a half, two. Oh, he's maybe, he's about two. We're in the backyard of their house, and, and they, had, they had done some landscaping. They had done some nice stuff. They had a little koi pond. And I remember standing there talking to them, and Nicole was talking also in the backyard. And for whatever reason, Keegan just takes off running straight into that koi pond. And like he disappears. And, and I'm ashamed to say it to this day, but my initial response to that, I just froze in fear. It took me a moment. Now Larry, my buddy, it wasn't his kid. I mean, he just takes off right in the koi pond, pulls him out, right? But I froze in that moment. That's what happens to us so often. Fear paralyzes us. Especially in crisis, but also in life. It just paralyzes us. We, we, we can't do what we're supposed to do. We're just frozen. I was thinking about Gideon. Or uh, not Gideon. Think about the Israel army with Goliath. They're just sitting there, frozen by fear. Fear paralyzes activity. Fear steals recall. Again, studying the effects of fear on us. Um, it absolutely is true that fear robs your memory. Think about the children of Israel at the Jordan River after God has done so many miraculous things as he's taken them out of Egypt, as he's done the Red Sea, as he's provided for them, as he's just done all of this stuff, they come up to the Jordan River, they send the spies in, the ten come back and say they're giants, and all of a sudden, in the moments of fear, their, their recall of all that God had done and who he was is absolutely vanishing. Fear steals recall. Fear erodes confidence. Think about Gideon. Gideon, who God called to lead against the enemy. And Gideon, who goes through this whole, like, no way, I can't do this, I'm Gideon. Then God does all these signs for him. So many signs for him. The fleece, right? We talk about the fleece. That's Gideon's story. And yet still, Gideon is so fearful that he has no confidence in his abilities. This is what fear does. And I would tell you that what the scriptures teach us is this. The only way to manage fear 
is to face it. Neuroscience have discovered that we are hardwired to be optimists. We are not, we are not constructed to fear. It breaks us down in every way, starting in our minds, then our bodies, our emotions. It breaks us down. It is the most commanded thing in Scripture. Do not fear. It's the thing that God calls us to the most. Jesus made, I don't know how many imperative commands, the imperative man, command he makes the most is fear not. Think about this nativity story that we've just looked at this year again at Christmas. How many times were the characters in that story told to do what? Fear not. The only way to manage fear is to face it. You can't go around it, over or under it. You must go straight through it. You need to do what you fear the most. That's called faith. You need to open the door of the closet and see for yourself that the boogeyman isn't as big as you thought it was. You see, what happens with fear is fear is always worse than reality. The fear of failure is worse than failure. Honestly, failure is no big deal. You just get up and start over. The fear of rejection is worse than rejection. The fear of embarrassment is worse than embarrassment. Mark Batterson would, would say this, the, the famous pastor, the cure for the fear of failure is not success, it's failure. The cure for the fear of rejection is not acceptance, it's rejection. Fear, the only way it is ever managed in our life is if we come to a place where we are willing to face it. That is why God so often calls us to fear not. George Patton said this, you know, General George Patton. It might be one of the only three sentences in his life that he said without a swear word. So this might be history. But this is what he said. He would understand this as an army. Courage is fear that has said its prayers. All of us have fear, right? It's as natural to us as anything. How do I manage that? How do I follow God when he says, fear not? How do I understand the reality of, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? Fear. No evil. For you are with me. It's the same idea of what he said to Joshua. Joshua's all of a sudden got millions of people. Moses is gone. He's on his own. Huge task. And immediately, God, the first words he's saying, Joshua, just be strong and what? Courageous. Don't fear. But I love what this psalmist reminds us of because fear fractures our soul. It robs us of a healthy and a whole life. It does. I, I'm telling you, fear is one of the is one of the biggest soul fractures that come along. And it's hard for us to be healthy and to live fully when fear is working, moving, robbing our lives, stealing from our joy, causing us to act in irrational ways. He says, I will fear no evil for what? You are with me. They have found that in the study of Phobias of fear-based mental illnesses. Guess what? 
the behavioral, uh, behavioral techniques they're taking you. They make you face those things that you fear. It's the only way you can get through it, to face it. And that's what they do. You remember Monk, the show Monk, the OCD guy? You know what they would do with Monk? They'd make him use a, a, a dirty napkin or touch something and not wash his hands. Fear is only managed by facing it. But what's cool about the Christian is this. As a child of God, the only way to face fear is with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Think about Noah taking a risk, building an ark, Abraham taking a risk, leaving his forefathers, Moses taking a risk, rescuing his people from Egypt, Joshua taking a risk, Gideon taking a risk, David, what he did with Goliath, on and on and on. It's people who knew that the person of the Holy Spirit, God himself, was with them. And with that knowledge, they step forward and face fear. Fear was never intended to control, manipulate our lives. It's the words of Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Don't be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. So often, so many of us, me included, fear plays such an active role in fracturing our soul, stealing our rest, causing us to be unhealthy in our spirit. And yet God who restores our soul promises even though you walk through the darkest time, the valley of the shadow of death and all that meant for a sheep walking through and all the perils that could come, animals, weather, so many things, I will fear no evil for you are with me. God actually calls us to face our fears but he promises we don't have to face them alone. We're with him. And obviously, you know what that means, right? There is nothing that can stand against the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He just calls us, as he called Joshua, to be very strong and courageous. Jesus opens his hands to us so often and says, Fear not. Fear not. But then the promises, for I am with you. Maybe some of us today need to find some health and wholeness in our soul. Maybe this is a fracture in our soul that's holding us back from living life and living it abundant, from being healthy and then living fully. Fear is a major fracture. I would remind you of a God who calls us to not fear promises us that he will stand with us as we face our fears. Would you stand this morning and sing before we go?
darkness tries to roll over my bones and sorrow comes to steal the joy I own and brokenness and pain is all I know I won't be shaken I won't be shaken my fear Great week. We'll see you next time.